Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., a recovered compulsive overeater and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, November 6, 2022. The share ID numbers for Friday, November 4th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 19,597. That's 19597. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 19,109. That's 19609. This morning, A Vision for You presents spiritual part of the program. It's all spiritual. The big book teaches us that to get over drinking, or for us, compulsive overeating, will require a transformation of thought and attitude. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, represent a process resulting in a spiritual awakening, a way of deep and lasting personal transformation. The most basic premise of the 12-step program is that spiritual consciousness attained by taking prescribed actions has a sufficiently powerful effect on the human mind and the human spirit to bring about the kind of radical personality shift necessary to expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. In other words, the 12 steps can keep us as compulsive overeaters abstinent and happy. To put it simply, The 12 steps help people get better by teaching them how to be spiritual. Joining us today to elaborate on the topic of spiritual part of the program, it's all spiritual, is Larry Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Illinois. Larry is a beloved member of A Vision for You, a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous who spends great deal of time carrying the message of recovery and helping others who still suffer. And it's always a pleasure and a great delight to welcome Larry Kay to the line this morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Leah. <laughs> Thanks for the uh, the intro there. Much appreciated. Um, again, I'm Larry Kay. I'm, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and I'm uh, from Chicago. And uh, boy, all these these different sort of catchy uh, titles, right? You know, so it's all spiritual. Yeah, it is all spiritual. It, I was talking to uh, to someone recently about this, and they said it's sort of like asking, you know, you know, what's the spiritual part of the program? It's sort of like asking, you know, what part of Lake Michigan is wet? You know, well, the, the, there's the few miles between uh, Green Bay and Traverse City that's wet, but anything south of there, you know, dry as a desert, right? It's it's all wet, right? And you know what part of a a furry little puppy's cute? You know, well, Cherry's left paw is pretty cute. Her right ear is you know not too bad. Um, 
but I, I'm not going to vouch for the white patch under her chin or the, you know, that, that, that I can't vouch for. So, it's, you know, it, but, but when we look at it, you know, when we talk about the 12 steps as being a spiritual program, you know, what does that mean? You know, and we're, and we're, and we're told that this is not a religious program certainly doesn't have to be right it can be for you but it's not a religious program but rather it's a spiritual program of action what 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 is a spiritual program and i think that you know that when when we consider that that a human being you know we look at a human being and we recognize that we have we certainly have animalistic traits right um and, and what makes us human when we consider you know that uh, you know, we have these animalistic traits. What makes us human, however, is not our intelligence. I mean, animals are intelligent. A porcupine, a duck, a, a, I don't know, a snail, they, 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 they show signs of, of intelligence. No, but what makes us human and unique are a number of traits that, that animals do not possess. Okay, so, so and, and that's what makes us human beings, that those traits that animals do not possess. For example, you know, animals, they cannot choose. Now, I, I certainly, when I'm sitting there with my, I call her my spiritual advisor, right? And I was sitting there this morning, I get up and I have time with God and with uh, Cherry. She's a 17-pound uh, mini golden doodle, and she teaches me a whole lot. You should have a spiritual advisor like this, let me tell you. Um, she just sits there quietly. She doesn't seem to be too disturbed about anything. And so I learned a little bit about getting quiet. And then uh, and then after a while, uh, I don't think she knows the first thing about meditation, to be quite honest. But uh, but after a while, she does what, you know, what dogs do. She wants to go outside and without being too graphic, you can imagine, take care of, of her business. And uh, and I learned a little bit about humility because I got a little bag. With me, right? And uh, that's a humbling experience. And then this morning, I learned a little bit. She taught me about resentment because I took that bag and I and I, and I threw it out uh, in the garbage. And at least I kind of chucked it close to the garbage there, right? And it didn't go in. And boy, did I learn a little bit about resentment and a little bit about fear because, by gosh, the neighbors that you know they get up in the morning and they're just, you know, all they can think about is Larry, <laughs> you know. So if they see that I'm you know that I'm that I'm that I'm missing the garbage and so forth. So I have a little bit of fear and and integrated with resentment. And so Cherry teaches me so many different things. And she even taught me um, uh, a little bit about making amends. We one of the things she likes to do is uh, she likes to uh, to roughhouse a little bit. And when I say roughhouse, you know, I'm, I grab at her paws. You can imagine, right? And she she definitely understands that this is play, right? And she'll bite at my fingers, not not you know chomp down on my fingers, but she'll kind of nibble at my fingers, and then she comes back for more and so forth. Well, she caught me a little little bit hard this morning, and I instigate the whole thing. <laughs> I was like, ow, you know, and and I just I stood there for a second, lay down there for a second, and she taught me a little about a little bit about making amends. She comes over and she puts her nose in my face. <laughs> she licks my face, so I even learned a little bit. So she's the greatest spiritual advisor. But, but this, um, but animals, you know. But 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 the truth is, animals can't choose. You know, do you realize that that animals have no choice? In fact, they're driven instinctually to whatever directs them, and they cannot think. 
you know, is, is it right or wrong? Now, we as human beings, we have a choice. And we may be attracted to do something that we decide not to do. We can, we can choose right from wrong. We can choose to work the steps. We can choose not to work the steps, right? And that's uniquely human. And we, and we have also the ability actually to delay gratification. We may want something and, and then subsequently we, you know, we decide that no, you know, now is not the right time for it. Although as compulsive readers, you know, we, we wonder if we, if we even have that. But, but, but we do. We're not, we're not helpless. We're going to have to put the food down, as we always say, right? But animals cannot do that. They cannot do that. They're driven by instincts purely, right? Any sort of human traits are traits that we give them. And, and the other thing is we have the ability to forgive. Animals cannot forgive. Now, I know what you're saying. Wait a minute. Whose animal are you talking about there, Buster Brown? My animal, you know, my, my dog, my cat can forgive. No, we, we, they can't. We, we have the ability to think, to contemplate a goal in life, to contemplate a purpose. Animals don't do that. Animals can't do that. They're driven by their instincts, and they don't think about their purpose in life. And, they, they, you know, they, they certainly are comfortable in their own skin because they don't have to be driven by contemplation of a future that isn't here yet or a past that they, they carry regrets. They don't have they, – they're not burdened by that, right? You know, my, my brother and my sister-in-law, they, they recently got back from an African safari. My brother retired, and uh, good for him. And they went on this African safari, and, and when they returned – they came back with amazing pictures and video clips of all the, the extraordinary animals they'd seen on, 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 on the safari. And so you, you saw, you know, like there's the, you know, the, the, the lions and the, the zebras and the elephants and, and, and they encountered when they were on the safari. And now here's the one thing I can absolutely be certain of. Okay. The, the, anim, the, the lions, the zebras, they, they never thought, you know, what the heck am I doing with my life? You know, why, why, why am I here? And what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What am I doing here on the Serengeti? You know, human beings have the ability to think about our purpose in life. Now, I, I love animals, as you can probably tell, and perhaps you do as well. And I get the privilege of, you know, spending time with Cherry, and it's great. But here's the thing about Cherry. She's incapable of contemplating a spiritual life. And I, now, I presume that, that she's God's child as much as I am. She's a God's creature here. Yet she's driven by the instincts, and spirituality is a uniquely human choice. It is a choice that I make each day to live by these spiritual principles. And I do it as only a human being can, imperfectly, right? But I do it. It's a choice. So, you know, when I came into program, I took issue and I heard things. You know, take issue with the spiritual part of the program. You know, it's that, that, that preachy sort of God stuff that I, I could do without, right? And it, it made me feel uncomfortable because I got to tell you, I, as, a, uh, as, a, as a child, I remember uh, a family member. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a distant family member that, that was, uh, had some sort of mental illness. I didn't know it at the time, but there was some sort of mental, mental illness and um, she was institutionalized for a, for a brief period of time, and um, and she was presented with a uh, with a friend who talked about a kind of a spiritual type of solution. And this wasn't dealing with addiction, but the point was is what what I my takeaway was my family 
my my parents thought she was absolutely nuts because she began to t- talk about having a personal relationship with the higher power. And, and your experience may be much different than mine. We all come with our own narrative. But I remember that I got that message loud and clear. You know, it's one thing to talk about God or, you know, but to have a personal relationship with this unseen uh, power greater than yourself, that's, that, that's just absurd. And so it went. At least that was my takeaway from it. They never sat me down and lectured me on that, but they, but they certainly, um, I listened to what they talked about and how they talked about things. I, I, I was perceptive in that sense at a young age. And, and I, my takeaway was, uh, you know, anyone with a personal, you know, day-to-day relationship with a, with a higher power, let alone God, be it theological or otherwise, that, that, they're, they're crazy. That's nuts. That's, that, that's, that's nutty stuff. And so it went for me. And so it went for me for a long time. Now, you know, let's acknowledge that uh, human beings have the unique ability to compartmentalize things, right? We have, we have a brain that is extraordinary at placing ideas and, and concepts and, and, and feelings in, in these, these proverbial buckets, and I, and I was good at that, too. And so, of course, I would separate and categorize things. And, of course, when I got to these rooms, I, you know, I, I saw, well, there's the spiritual part of the program. There was, I, I wanted different buckets. I wanted different categories of things. A food plan over here and the group kind of think over here. And, yeah, I see the steps on the wall, and, you know, we'll get around to that at some point. And, and then there's the, the, oh, the God stuff that you hear. Well, there's that, that God part of the program. And, and so I naturally, I think it's an existential, universal human trait to, to, to compartmentalize things. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, perhaps it's a, a reasonably healthy way to kind of separate conflicting you know, thoughts, experiences, different attitudes into categories. That, that's, you know, if, I, if I'm able to do it, you're able to do it. There may, there, there's probably some, some evolutionary reason that we're able to do that. And part of it, you know, you know, maybe it helped me to avoid discomfort that comes from any sort of internal contradiction I had. But here's the thing. So let me get back to this and let me get back to the book. What I'm gonna, if there's anything that I share today, that you can't sort of, you know, connect with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, because that's a really our, our, an original source. I would say just, you know, leave it alone, you know, because, because this book has saved my life. They, it's not just the reading of the book, but it's the, it's the implementation of the instructions. I view the big book of Alcoholics, Alcoholics Anonymous as a sacred divine text. And I just do because uh, my experience is such that, you know, it has changed my life. I'll give you an example. Um, I've, I've done a podcast before. I've, I've spoken about my mother. My mother's now in her 80s. <laughs> my mother yesterday moved in with my brother. Now, I lived with her for about a year, a little over a year. Now, this was the woman that I was uh, just, I just had terrible, terrible resentment, terrible resentment for decades. And I couldn't stand being in the same room with her for, for long stretches unless, unless I could numb out <laughs> with, with, with various alcoholic foods that, that made it somewhat more palatable, right? But the thing is, is that um, I just couldn't because, 
partly, and I'm I'm just giving you you know some of my experience. Partly, um, I w- I was lived in a very volatile home after my parents were divorced, and as a eight year old little boy, I was uh, physically abused and uh, emotionally abused. Not by my mother. My mother loved me, of course she did. What mother doesn't, right? Now my mother was addicted to amphetamines and diet drugs back in the day, but back in the 1960s and early 70s, and my my father, when he was alive, he was a pharmacist. That made it that made it pretty easy uh, to get to to get that. But 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 I share this with you because uh, you know that resentment uh, you know just kept me uh, from having any sort of relationship with her, and it was just corroding me from the inside. It was among many pieces of evidence of a, of a deeper spiritual malady. Now, I know that no eight-year-old boy, you know, should be abused. And I resented my mother because she didn't protect me. The stepfather was long gone, okay, but she didn't protect me. Now, let's fast forward to 2022, <coughs> or November, right? And, you know, as a result of, I think, the daily implementation of these steps, not only can I have a relationship with her, but for many years now, I see the beauty in her. She's not the same woman she was. I mean, after all, who is? Who's the, who's the same in their 20s and 30s that they are later? Um, and she's now an elderly woman uh, that has, you know, big mobility problems. Um, and her mind is not what it once was. Uh, mine isn't either. Okay, but but uh, but but it's pretty good. It's pretty good, and I think you'd like my mom. I, in fact, I'm sure of it. I think you, you you guys universally would like my mom. Most people do. She's a warm, kind person. She's not not the same person from before. So, she's moving in with my brother, and uh, and that's a beautiful thing. It's a it's a beautiful gift. It was a gift when I was living with her. So so what what gives? What what happened? Was it just that I that I got right size physically? As a result of these steps, uh, and 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 as a result of, of of losing weight and fitting into some you know nifty clothes and so forth, and uh, and feeling a little bit better about myself with that regard, that somehow that resentment left me. Of course not. That's not what happened. What happened was is that the spiritual malady, the spiritual malady is, is overcome by the grace of God one day at a time, by the implementation of these steps. And the steps, if you, if you know that the steps, we, we can connect the dots uh, from the time, uh, and we can go earlier, but I don't want to do a whole history lesson, but I, I find it really intriguing that, you know, Roland Hazard, if you, if you look on page 27 in the big book, you see, you know, there's just a little mention, a uh, summary of Roland Hazard. He was this, this young, wealthy uh, man who couldn't stop drinking. I'll bet he had a few resentments against family members. I'll bet he had a few uh, traumatic situations. I don't know his whole narrative, but but I know that this guy could not. He was he was a drunk of the hopeless variety. He could not stay stopped. The more he drank, the more he wanted, and the more he wanted, the more he drank. You know, and it went on and on. And so he sought out help. He had uh, he was part of the Allied Chemical company, you know, the family started that company and a uh, very successful company out in Rhode Island. And, and he went to visit with Dr. Jung. And, 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 and many, many of you have heard this story many times. But, but Dr. Jung, way before AA, right, early 1920s, 
1920s, 1930s. He went out to visit Dr. Jung. He had the resources, the financial resources. And I think the beauty of it is on page 27, it says, because, you know, Roland Hazard, uh, he, I think Dr. Jung, this Swiss psychiatrist from Zurich, well-known at the time, okay, still well-known now, long gone, but he used every treatment modality at his disposal. I'm certain of that. And, and I bet you he formed a, a therapeutic relationship with Roland. And, and uh, in those days, you know, they worked very intensively in, 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 in that therapeutic sort of situation. And, and for about a year, he worked, he worked with them for many months. And, and Roland during that time was sober. And he, he, uh, he gets back on, sails back to the to U.S. And I guess, you know, by the time he, he got to Paris, uh, he's drunk again. Eventually, uh, you know, gets back to the U.S. And he comes back uh, months later to Dr. Jung. And he gets uh, what I think was the real start of, you know, if we connect the, the you know, the dots here. Because he, you know, what, what's, what's the matter with me? What's, I can't, I can't, st- I can't stay stopped. And, 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 and the doctor said to him on page 27, he says, you know, Roland, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. And he was honest. He said, I've never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. And our friend Roland felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. And, 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 he, and he asked the doctor, he says, you know, is, is there any exception? Yes, replied the doctor. There is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have what are called vital spiritual experiences. You know, it's a, it's a, to, these, to, to me, he said, these occurrences are phenomena. It's something that are observed to occur, but we don't understand the great mystery, but we absolutely observe that they occur. It's a phenomenon. And they appear to be in the nature, Leah talked about this a little bit, the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Because, because Roland was dominated by different ideas, emotions, and attitudes. These guided him. These were the forces that guided him. And, but what Dr. Jung was saying is what happens is, is he's, he's observed that these people that have these, these spiritual experiences, these guiding forces are suddenly cast to one side. I don't know why, but they're cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions begins to dominate them. And that's what he was trying to, 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 to bring about in Roland. And, and, and I think the, you know, the most critical piece of this is he said, he has never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Can you imagine? I got nothing. I got nothing for you. And all the while we remember A, B, and C that, you know, later on that no human power could relieve us of this, of, of our alcoholism, but that God couldn't would if he were sought. And, you know, and, and so I, I don't want to sugarcoat any of this. For me, my experience is, is that the steps integrated together, right? They, the 12 steps can do, uh, you know, do not exist in isolation, right? Rather, they are the sequential process. They're like mechanical cogs that, that sort of all turn together to achieve a result, right? And, and when taken out of context, they become distorted, and they're open to, to misinterpretation, 
you know. So there's there's lots of things that get misinterpreted. But if you think of a think of a clock, think of a grandfather clock or some, or a watch, you know, think of a watch and all the little mechanical cogs that that make that and they all work together. And if anything is out of sync, there's some synchronicity to all this, the, the integration of the steps. Because if anything is out of sync, you know, it just you're not going to get the result, which is to be able to tell the time <laughs> and. Uh, you know, the big hand and the little hand aren't going to move in concert together. But, but I think what, what, what happens with the steps, and, and we focus, if you notice, the steps do talk about God. The, the, only the first step really talks about alcohol, about food. You know, so we, we acknowledge that we have a problem with food. It's, 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 it's merely a manifestation of a deeper problem. We come to learn that we have a spiritual malady, okay, that spiritual malady. Uh, is presented in lots of different ways. In page 52, you know, knows us pretty well. Page 52 talks about we refer to them oftentimes as the bedevilments, right? And on 52 in the chapter, we agnostics, it says, they describe me, oh, the first time I read this, I thought, bingo, Yahtzee, you know, that's, they, they knew me. <laughs> We're having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. And so that describes me. But, you know, that described me coming in. But I got to tell you, that described me abstinent. That can describe me abstinent. So what that tells me is that I can still be or beholden to those bedevilments, even when I put the food down. You know, you could you could be at the right weight. You can have all those kind of you know nifty you know cute clothes that you that fit and all that stuff. Maybe you've even stopped your your obsessive behaviors. Many of us come with bulimic behaviors and anorexic behaviors, and and so maybe you're sober, if you will, from those things. And yet, <laughs> I steal a lot from Leah and others. And yet the monkey is off our back, right, Leah? But oh, the circus is still in town. And the first time I heard her say that, I thought, oh, this is, this is a woman that's, you know, she, she speaks, she brings these words off the pages. And, and the beauty is we get to steal stuff here. You know, you, you say it three times and it's yours, okay? But, 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 but if it captures the essence, you know, and that's what it, it can feel like. So we're not rendered, you know, as if uh, I worked these mechanical cogs, these sequential steps. One builds off the next, right? And I work them and I have a spiritual experience, some sort of psychic change. The obsession uh, begins to lift or maybe it's lifted entirely. And I go on my merry way and I continue to treat people with something less than compassion. I continue to judge people. I continue to, you know, attraction rather than promotion, not a whole lot of attraction to someone who is, uh, who's, who's still kicking people when they're down or judging people and, uh, you know, people that come here. We come here very fragile, right? And we don't understand the idea, the idea of, you know, I think the spirituality and the way the steps are integrated together, it allows me, it allows us to live and do esteemable things, 
to live and do esteemable things. You know, today, and, and again, there's people on this alliance that might say, well, okay, Larry, I know about this or that. It wasn't so esteemable. And I would say, you're right. You're right. I am human. I, I, I make no apologies for being human, but I, 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 you know, we all, there's nobody that graduates from this program and we can slip and slide. And I know about slipping and sliding. And maybe I still stay in a, in a body that's, uh, you know, that's, that's reasonably healthy and so forth. But again, back to those bedevilments, uh, my little earpiece off, back to those bedevilments, there I am in program with all this kind of knowledge that I've absorbed and try my best to apply. And I find myself slipping and sliding and treating an individual in a way that uh, not in a gen- gentlemanly way, you know, and, uh, and that's not what this program is. What this program is, is it's the steps when worked, integrated together for a lifetime, what happens is, is we, we become more compassionate, loving, kind people. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't be the, now, I am not the disturber in chief. That, 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 that job is not mine. I'm not, I'm not looking to, you know, my goal in life is to disturb you and all that. Now, we know the big book says that sometimes that may be all to the good. Okay, but at the same time, you know, what I always, and you've heard these little catchy phrases, but, but some of them resonate with me. And one of them is, you know, I, I want to absolutely say what I mean. I want to, I want to pass along a message of hope that is not watered down. But at the same time, I don't want to say it mean. You know, because that is attractive to no one, to fragile people that come in here or wounded people that don't appear to be fragile. When I came here, I don't know that I appeared to be a fragile, meek little, you know, little duckling walking around here. No, I I don't think that at all. But I was a wounded duck. And I was like a a little pit bull ready to to, to bite. You know, if you just catch me, you'll get smiles and so forth. But you catch me on the wrong day because of the embedded nature of the spiritual malady, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll snap you know, and uh, it was ver- verbally. So, so if you're on the line and you're one of those people, uh, welcome to the club. Me too at times, me too. But I'll tell you, a lot less so. So what I want to say as we're wrapping up a little bit, because I always want to make time for questions, which there's probably maybe one, who knows. Um, but, you know, I want to talk a little bit about powerlessness. You know, the most common argument against, or not argument really, but a a common misperception of the program I see is that it, you know, like somehow this aim, step one, that, you know, we're going to strip people of their power. You know, for example, that, you know, that, you know, there's this worry that, that a program that tells us to renounce power that we've never had poses the threat of making us sicker, you know, so it's kind of that argument and, and that we don't need to give up our power. But the word powerless is used in the first step as, just as it reads, we admitted that we are powerless over alcohol, okay, or our alcoholic foods, our alcoholic behaviors, and that our lives had become unmanageable, right? Step one, page 59, right? And the only, you know, this only means admitting powerless over alcohol, which is, which is of course, the first step one must take before we continue. But it does not assert that we are without power. And nowhere does it ask that we renounce or give up, you know, what makes us agency, what makes us like, I can open the door. I'm going to open the door. Here I go. 
Here I go. Hear me. Open the door. I just made that choice to, ooh, it's cold out there. I'm going to close that damn door. But I, 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 I had God imbued me with that power to be able to make the choice to do that. No one is suggesting that I am powerless over everything, that I don't have agency. If you look up the word agency, that I don't have the capacity to take certain actions. Clearly, we do. We do get to choose, right? We do get to choose. But we are acknowledging that in the context of food, we are powerless over that. And with that comes a whole lot of unmanageability. But not everything's unmanageable. So, you know, I guess what I would say there with regard to the spiritual program of action is, you know, is that, you know, it it does acknowledge that when it comes to to food, we can't eat safely. That's a fact for me. I've tested it. It's a fact. Um, But I've certainly seen this concept twisted into, you know, somewhat of an abusive one. You know, for example, when someone's told to focus on all the ways they are powerless, I've, I've heard you know, of, of otherwise well-intentioned loving members being, you know, asked to write out all the things they're powerless over, such as their boss and their kids and the government and the neighbors. And there may be some truth to some of that, that we're not in charge of such things. Okay. But, you know, but, but, you know, it's not helpful necessarily. And more importantly, it's not the intent of the first step to state that someone has no agency, that has no ability, because clearly, as I've often said, and I've stole it from somebody, I don't know who, but if we don't put the food down, who then is going to put it down on our behalf? You can put the food down like I just opened the door and looked out, and it was pretty darn cold, and I closed the door pretty quickly there. But, you know, the point is, is that we do have human agency in order to take certain actions but we're recognizing that the integration of the steps are going to produce a transformative psychic change, right? And, and so with that, with regard to, to, uh, you know, to the idea of humility, I want to talk about humility as I wrap up. You know, humility, self-obsession, the, 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 the G word, the God word. You know, one of the things is, is pushing this message of humility on people who already feel like crap only adds insult to injury and it's counterproductive. Like, so goes the argument, you know, but, but the AA message doesn't suggest this at all. This is a misinterpretation based on a lack of, of inquiry. You know, my instinct is that a phrase like be humble has been taken in this context to mean, you know, like, get smaller or even shut up or the term humility comes from you know from the latin word humilitas which which, which is translated as humble but but it's, it's also translated in a different way as grounded as grounded or from the earth in other words it's intended to bring oneself back to the earth back to the place of grounding and centeredness and specifically in aa humility is meant as an antidote to the chaos of self-obsession and that's the, the obsession that rules the alcoholic mind. You know, so what is the obsession of self? If you're on the line this morning, you know what it's like to experience the obsession of self, even if you don't call it that. And I liken the self-obsession to being in a prison of your own mind. You know, it feels like being consumed with what you want and don't want, you know. 
and, and, and consumed with what others think of you and whether they like you and what you can do about that and wishing things worked out the way you want them to all the time and all the script writing that we get involved with. And it's a miserable, exhausting, anxiety-ridden way to live. And, and frankly, it's one of the primary blocks to accessing our true power. So I want to wrap up by suggesting to you that uh, this spiritual program of action, there is a great deal of what I would say is kind of elasticity and tolerance in terms of different views, right? We, 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 we definitely are a big tent, right? And, you know, and, and, and there's, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have to be rigid. It's a higher power of our own understanding. But it is, as John said last week, this is entirely experiential. So if we don't put on a jersey and we don't get off the bench, we cannot experience what it feels like to dribble that ball, to, to make mistakes, to dribble the ball off my leg. Harlan does that, to throw the ball in the stands, you know, and when you tried to throw it to the, you know, to the second baseman. You know, we don't, we don't get the opportunity to experience the beauty of the program, but all the little course corrections that we make. That's why it's experiential. And when we do that, when we do that and we engage in that and we have the resilience and the stick to right, and the determination, all while wearing this like a loose-fitting garment, when we do that, things begin to change. Things begin to change. So for me, is it spiritual? It's all spiritual. You know, Dr. Bob, he talked about this. He said, let's, in effect, he said, let's, let's not louse this thing up, right? Let's not water down the message. Let's not louse this thing up. But let's, you know, together, let's maintain the core ideas, these spiritual principles. Let's focus in on change. Let's focus in on change. And then all the other things begin to take care of themselves, right? All the other things begin to take care of themselves. Lay, I've gone more than I wanted to say this morning, so I think with that, it's a good time to pass. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Larry, for this beautiful, thought-provoking presentation this morning. Thank you for sharing your personal experience and personal insights with all of us today. Another gem for the archives from Larry Kay. Much appreciated, as always. Share ID for today 19,610, that's 19610. Larry's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording today, so please stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Larry by pressing star 1. I'll need your name, including the first initial of your last name. My name's Jim. I'm in Ohio. Hey, Jim. Margaret B. Georgia. Margaret. Jack A. from Utah. Repeat your name, please. Jack Bonnie A. B. Minnesota. Jack. Thank you, Jack. And Minnesota, who are you? Yep. Bonnie B. Hey, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else at this time? Star one to unmute. Patty Kipton. W from Rhode Island. Patty. Kipton from Virginia. Is that Kipton? Yes. 
Okay, that's a wonderful group. We've got Jim, Margaret D., Jack, Bonnie B., Patty W., and Kipton. Let's start off with Loretta Jim. H. Oh, Loretta H. Loretta, okay, on the bottom. Thank you, no problem. Thank you, sweetheart. Oh. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Jim, let's get started, and everyone else, please mute. Thank you. And my name is Jim S. from Toledo, Ohio, and I've been following OA direction for several months, maybe even a year or more. And uh, today I would like to make 11-6-22 my sobriety date. I know I need to abstain from sugar and flour, and I'm doing that. Um, it's not easy. I... Um, um, the, the thing I was struggling with this morning is I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and I think the only reason I did that was I wasn't planning to do anything until 8.30 this morning. So I'm not beating myself up anymore. And the talk was truly spiritual. Um, I know I have the ability to choose. I believe I'm grounded. Um Jim, I'm so glad you're here. It's great to hear from you. Might you have okay. a question this morning for Larry? Um, the question is, is it okay for me to make 11-6-22 my sobriety date? I mean, is that how it's done, just by choosing the day? Well, I think that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what what I would say, you know, pretty quickly, Jim, is uh, sounds as good of a date as any to me. Uh, it happens mm-hmm. to me be my brother's birthday, so why not today? Obviously, mm-hmm. you 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 need to you need to put the alcoholic foods down mm-hmm. and begin the process of working the steps, you know. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you know, you may, maybe you know this. Uh, you know, but um, we, we, you know, oftentimes we're going to find a guide, someone who has, you know, who has traveled this dubious road through the steps and can help you with the implementation of the steps and support you in that regard. So, yeah, eleven six. Are you kidding? I like that date. That works for me. Yeah. I, I have one thing to say. Um, I am sober with alcohol, and I'm happy. So I know what it means to be sober, but in the food category, I haven't gotten there yet, but I think today's a good day to start. So there, that's all I have. I'm with you on that, Jim. I'm with you on that. That's great. Glad you're here. Thank Thank you, you. Jim. Sounds like a great day. All right, Margaret D., your question, please. Um, Thanks, Leah. So good to hear you. Larry, thank you so much for your service. And Jim, today is an awesome day. so my question to you, uh, Larry, is uh, going back into the 11th step where um, we read to be quick to see where religious people are right and make use of what they offer. Can you relate back to us where you have experienced spiritual growth by making use of what a religious person has had to offer. And I know that there are religious people that are not spiritual. There are spiritual people that are not religious. 
and there's all kinds of combination, but um, yeah, how have you been able to make use of what religious people have to offer? Thanks. Oh, that's that's a very good question, Margaret. And I I don't know if I have a good answer, but I will I'll, I'll give it a give it a try. Um, so many ways come to mind as you were asking the question. So one one of the first things that that I I believe you know what can I use that religious I I, I know many religious people of all different denominations, and um and one of the fundamental things that I see because I watch them. And and the ones uh, which are many, uh, they number you know in the hundreds and hundreds. This is my personal experience. Um, uh, that it's through the demonstration, you know, it's 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 simple demonstration of how they live their lives today by spiritual principles. So, for example, um, you know, uh, with prayer. Uh, I, I, I personally am not offended by a prayer that doesn't follow, uh, you know, the, 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 the religion of my childhood, if you will. You know, if the words uh, are brought off the page and make sense to me in terms of trying to be the man that God would have me be, which is to be of maximum service to this higher power and to the people around me. So, for example, um, in the AA 12 and 12, they have a version of the St. Francis of Assisi prayer. And it's in our literature, and I make great use of that prayer. Now, that prayer, you know, maybe emanated from a you know, particular, you know, theological foundation makes no difference to me. Um, you know, so, so those, you know, that's one of the ways through prayer. But the biggest way is I see a demonstration, people that are not always, but, but plenty, plenty, Margaret, uh, people that demonstrate compassion, kindness. I'm really, I'm, I'm triggered a little bit, I don't know about you, Margaret, when people uh, profess whatever it is, spirituality, religion, whatever, and I see unkindness. And I see, no, I, I do accept them. And, and I see sort of a, you know, that type of approach. But conversely, I absolutely want to become more like these people that are practicing their religion and their spirituality through a particular denominational, you know, approach that uh, there is compassion, there is love, there is acceptance. You know, that to me is the most beautiful thing when I see that demonstrated. And uh, so that those are some of the ways that's more, more generic, but um, I don't want to get any more specific than that and talk about a, an outside issue of a particular theology, but that's some of the ways that I do it. Thank you, Margaret, for your question. Jack from Utah, your turn. Hey, this is Zach. It's in Zebra uh, from Utah, and I'm really grateful to be here. Um, I'm kind of new to the program. Came a few months ago and just got a sponsor, and appreciate, Larry, so much your share. Thank you. Um, just wondering, I'm a very obsessive person about many things, and when I worked the program and when I worked other 12-step programs in a different fellowship, I've gotten very perfectionistic about it. And so what, and you mentioned this idea of wearing the, gar, wearing the program as a loose garment. So where is, the, where is the distinction between how do I find the balance between loose garment mentality versus just making excuses 
Or another way to say it is how do I find that healthy self-compassion without becoming like too lenient as I'm doing specific things in the program like my food plan and stuff like that and working with my sponsor. Do you have anything about that? Yeah. Yeah, you bet, Zach. That that's uh, yeah. Thank you for that question. So um, I'm just going to go to the book. Um, so when when we complete, you know, I've heard it said that steps one, two, and three get us right with God. Four through seven get us right with ourselves. Eight and nine get us right with others, and then ten, eleven, and twelve keep us right with God, with ourselves, and with others. And the reason I say that as a pretext to, to answering your question, which I, I, I definitely heard about the perfectionistic aspects and distinguishing between, you know, because we're all, we're, we, we're obsessive people we're on a spectrum, right? Is when I complete that process, why the sequence of the steps matters to me in the context of your question is when I complete the process and begin to, you know, it, you know implement the steps for a lifetime. On page 87, it tells me that what, used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually ever so gradually becomes a working part of the mind and and being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with god it's not probable that we're going to be inspired at all times to i'm going to add something here zach please excuse me to you know whether or not we're perfectionistic whether or not we're working it hard enough whatever we're not going to be inspired at all times and in fact we might pay for that presumption and all sorts of absurd actions and ideas but you know what zach nevertheless what we find is that our thinking will as time passes as we implement the steps and as cherry barks in, in agreement you know, we'll find that more and more we're, we'll be on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. We come to rely upon it. So what I, so what I would say to you is keep working the steps. Keep practicing these principles. Follow the instructions as best you can. You know what, Zach? You couldn't do it perfectly if you tried. And I'll bet you're, you are very accomplished. Uh, I'm going to say young man, anyone under 40 is young by my standards. But I bet you're very accomplished. Uh, you sound like a bright guy. Um, but, uh, but, 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 but keep, keep, in the, keep on the firing line here. Keep doing the work. And because it's experiential, you will find what I found. That perfectionism begins to fall off. And you know what? Here's the sad part. You're not going to get a coin on the day, like, like they're not going to clap for you on the day that you notice in reflecting back that the perfectionism began to, began to leave you. There's no special coin for that. There's no round of applause. You're just going to, you're going to thank God, you know, and, and, and when other people notice it in you, Zach, you're going to say what Leah told me and just say, thank you for noticing God's handiwork. So I don't I don't know if that resonates, but that's that's my my two cents on that, Zach. Thank you, Zach, for your question this morning. Bonnie B, your turn. Good morning, everyone. Bonnie B from Minnesota. Thank you, Leah, for your continued beautiful service. And Larry, what a what an amazing share again this morning. Okay, am I unmuted now? We hear you now, Bonnie. Okay, okay, it looks okay. Did you hear any of it, Leah? Because it, we it heard un- that Larry's share was amazing. Okay, perfect. Okay, that's fantastic. That's then we fantastic. all then we all hung um, up. 
<laughs> no, Go no, ahead no. with your question, it was buddy. Amazing. So, so I'm going to piggyback on Zach's a little bit. So, um, you know, I know deep within my heart this is a spiritual thing. I am so aware of that. And yet there is that part of me, that perfection thing that I used to think was an asset that I now know is a deficit, that when I have sponsors and they come in and it's all about the list, the, the question is, how do I transition? How do I, what is that beautiful balance between, yes, we do this, but this isn't the ticket. This isn't the ticket. Because I have people who come in and that's, it's all about that. And I know they have to do that. But I know that's not what gets them to that place that we want to be at. So if you can just answer that, that would be great. And thank you again so much. Oh, my pleasure, Bonnie. Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, it seems like the theme, that perfectionism, boy, we, we, we all have that. And um, and you referenced, you know, the list making and all those things. And I, um, and, and, and it's a part of it. You know, we do an inventory. We do, uh, you know, we jot these things down. And, and we learn a spiritual sk- skill set for a lifetime. So, so you know, for me, uh, my higher power is going to have to remove that. I'm going to have to be willing to begin to work the opposite. It's kind of a step six sort of thing. I got to be entirely ready for God to remove some of my defects of character. And that one, underlying that one of perfectionism for me is fear. You know, so at the core, there's a fear. Uh, and, and, and to give voice to some of that fear, Bonnie, uh, I'm afraid if I don't do this and I don't earn an A+, because, I, boy, I, I want to be top of the top of the class here, right? And if I don't earn an A+, an a plus, uh, that pixie dust, it's, it's not going to rain down on me. Now, we know there's no pixie dust, right? But, but the point is, is that that's a natural thing for many of us. We're afraid. I'm afraid that if I don't do this perfectly, you know, and, and so, so in answer to your question, um, if, I, if, I, if, if I could hit on it, is, is I think back to really what Zach uh, said, you know, when we hear people uh, talk about those things, I had many sponsors, Bonnie, and some of them were very authoritative, and that was just their style of communication, and some of them probably were more authoritative based on their own fear, just as much as some of them were, were pleasers, and that also came from fear. And so then it was like, do whatever you want. I think as we continue to immerse ourselves in the implementation of the steps, okay, as we, as we do that, it's a process, right, Bonnie? It's just a process. I think the veil of perfectionism begins to lift, right? I think the veil of perfectionism begins to lift. It, 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 it takes a little bit longer for some of us. I'm hard-headed. I, I get scared. I, I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be, hi, I'm Larry recovering, oh, recovering compulsive overeater. You know, I want to be, on, I want to be at the cool kids table. But then at some point, and Leah didn't send me a coin for this time either, at some point, uh, it didn't matter what table I'm at. I don't know when that happened. So I think uh, with this is we begin to trust our own instincts. That's spiritual growth is when we begin to trust our own instincts with the recognition, Bonnie, that God is in charge of it all and that no human power is going to relieve this alcoholism, but that God could and would if he were sought. And so we burn the idea into the consciousness of every man, woman, child, you know, that, that we place our trust and reliance, right, in this higher power, not on other human beings, 
which is paradoxical because we love each other. And of course we rely on each other. So we have to be able to live with paradox, right? So I hope that helps a little bit, but uh, uh, I, I have no doubt that that's, that's going to happen for you. You just keep at it. We keep practicing this deal, right? Thank you, Bonnie B., for your question. Patty W., it's your turn. Star one to unmute, Patty. Oh. Now we hear you. Good morning, Patty. Ah. I'm sorry. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Leah and Larry, for your service. Um, I'm Hattie W. from Rhode Island. And my question, Larry, you you spoke a lot about powerlessness and agency, and you just kind of came back to that in your answer, your last answer, that we begin to trust our own instincts with the recognition that God is the power of it, uh, it all. I'm wondering if you can give some examples, because I'm certain that that eight-year-old kid who faced the struggle that he faced then didn't feel a lot of agency. Um, And the person you are sounds to me like somebody who is conscious and active in giving back to this program and in working your recovery and in being well aware of who has the power, that the power is in your higher power. Can you say more about arriving at that place of agency and surrender, I guess? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Hattie, for that question. And, you know, I mean, what does it mean? First off, agency, what type of agency are you talking about? You know, a sense of agency, I I was referring, and you know this, Hattie, uh, by the nature of your question, to, to the feeling the human, the very human feeling of control over actions and their consequences. And I had to be able to live in the dual nature of understanding that, yes, I, I own up to my powerlessness over my alcoholic foods and, and the resulting unmanageability that came, you know, from that in, in many different areas and can still plague me at times, right? We don't, we don't, we're not rendered, uh, we don't hit nirvana here, right? Um, but in answer to your question, we still, you know, it's evolutionary. God gives us, I talked about opening the door. I need to open the shades around here too because there's no light here, but I closed them because Jerry was going to bark. And I had fear that you would judge me if she was barking during my thing. And then I'd have a big resentment and you know how that goes. But okay, so I have agency and I've come through the implementation of the steps for a lifetime, just over time, right? And I'm still learning. I hope I have this for a lifetime. I hope I stay on this pathway for a lifetime. I can't imagine any other way of life. But is living with paradox. So the paradox, I don't know when that ability to live with paradox more comfortably sort of kind of came upon me, but it just did over time. Uh, it sort of caught me as I was working the steps and only in reflection, like so many things, when we reflect back, we see that, yes, I have agency. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I walk through, we, we can, you know, we talk about, do, do I walk through door number one or door number two? 
That was another one I stole from Leah. I just steal everything of hers. I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not, you know, burglarizing her house. I mean, I, but, but door number one, you know, Mark disease. Uh, I have the agency with which clearly it, it, it must have come from my creator that I have the agency to w- walk through the door, Mark disease. You know, and I know, oh, and that, and there's lots of people, as Leah said, you know, in that line. But the, the door, and I don't know if I have this exactly right, but the door mark recovery, that's a, that's a much shorter line. And I just always hear in her voice, you know, who gets to decide which line you get into? You do, you know? And so that, that's, that's agency, right? That's agency. But at the same time, paradoxically, I recognize, as you said, inherently that, you know, that God, God ultimately has the power. I'm not robotic in nature. I still can make a choice today. I don't know if I'm going to watch the Bears game. I mean, they play Miami. Harlan will tell you it's probably a, a, another loss. But, you know, but, but maybe I will, maybe I won't. I have the choice to do that. I have the choice what I'm going to eat today. Okay. But, I, but the power part of it, accessing power, is at some point, in the midst of having that very human agency to take steps, to walk, to move our bodies, to whatever it is, to make decisions in our lives, we grow comfortable in our own skin with still with the recognition that ultimately God is in charge of it all. I'm very comfortable that God, and, I'm, and it's actually very reassuring to me that this God, and you know what? I'll tell you another thing, Hattie. If I'm wrong, if I, I'm, I'm no sucker. I don't want to be a sucker, right? Uh, if I'm wrong about this, well, here's how my life works today. I get the privilege of being able to be asked, what a privilege to, to, to share and try to be of help. And in the process, I get helped, right? There's no, 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 no mistake there. I get, the, I get the ability. I have friends. I have people in program. Many, not all, who love me, you know, and, and some that like me and so forth. And what a beautiful thing, you know. And, and, and so that's, you know, we, we start to think better. We come to, we start to think better. We start to be brought into a deeper alignment with a higher power. And then we begin to live better. And, and, and then that, that sense of agency and that sense of surrender kind of, it's a nice little dance together, right? It's a beautiful dance together. And I just acknowledge that. So I don't know what the hell I said. And, and we probably lost another 50 callers there. So anyway. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hattie W., for your question. Appreciate that. Kipton from Virginia, it's your turn to pose a question. Hi, this is Kipton, uh, recovered in Virginia, and uh, grateful to be on the call. Um, I'm having a really difficult time with the decision or discerning the next right steps for um, something that I've been presented with, and I'm, you know, living in 10, 11, and 12, but um, would just like to hear your experience with um, making big decisions. Uh, I'm, I'm having, the difficulty lies in, I can't see where I'm being willful, where I'm, you know, allowing things to unfold, where ego's involved. I'm just, I'm struggling. So thank you. Yeah, Kipton. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, yeah, I, I remember feeling just like you, you felt is some of these big decisions. 
you, you know, uh, involving family, involving children, involving all relationships, involving all sorts of things, these, these, these big ones, sometimes illness, sometimes all finances, all these things, and, and these big decisions. And yes, like you, we try our best to live in through the implementation of 10, 11, and 12, which is really, in many ways, as you know, uh, Kipton, working the, the entirety of the spiritual program on a daily basis, right? Um, but, okay, so with that, uh, what I would say about it is, again, back to trust and, 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 and reliance that, that, you know, again, I, I hate to, to be a broken record, but the, the, the hunter occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. And, and, but I see the thing is though, Captain, I want it to be a working part of the mind now. You know, I, I hear Veruca <laughs> in uh, Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. I want the whole world, you know, I want to throw a party and I want it now. Right. And, and that was me very self-absorbed, very entitled. And I'm not saying that you are, you sound lovely, you know, but, 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 but for me, you know, an entitlement that I, I, and there's fear that I'm going to make the wrong decision and that I can't trust myself. There are people on this line that I just can't trust myself. And so I'm just going to, and, and lacking that trust, we get paralyzed and sometimes we do nothing. And today, what I will tell you, again, through the implementation of the steps, over time, we get better at making decisions every day. Uh, I'm just going to pick on Leah. Every day she has to make a decision. She's, you know, I mean, she's got, there's a lots of, you know, there's lots of Indians in the tribe there. Who do I see? Who do I talk to? What do I do? You know, what's next? And, and my guess is she's human, but, um, but, but she makes decisions and she's just more comfortable today in making those decisions and kind of letting sort of God, let the flow of God just kind of move in and out. And, and that's how it feels for me today is that uh, I don't worry so much anymore because even if I make a wrong decision, let's just say clearly in reflection something was a wrong decision, I think that God uses that. I know that God uses that many times. On a daily basis, perhaps I make the wrong decision. But God uses that, and I'm a work in progress, and I learn from it, and I'm comfortable with it. So I would say, let go and let God, you know, let go and let God. And we got to do that in action. It's not a passive thing. Make it, have the courage, have the courage to make a decision with the un, in the midst of the uncertainty as to whether or not it's the right decision. Make it anyway. Make it anyway. And watch how God comes to your aid. Watch how, you, how your higher power comes to your aid, whether it turned out to be a better decision or maybe, you know, not a great decision. Watch how that uh, just kind of materializes. And, and I think that, that that's, that's how it feels to me today. There's just a greater comfort with that. So I hope that makes some sense. Thank you, Kipton, for your question. Now we have Loretta H., Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Leah. The two L's stand for love. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for always bringing new insight into my recovery. Uh, you talked about, um, and this is what I felt, you have a big investment in your recovery. And 
I, of course, am so graced today also, and I'm very neutral around food. But sometimes my neutrality gets very dull in worldly clamors, and I use the steps, I use um, other fellows, but how do you get them your your love and the absolute to be sharpened again when things feel almost hopeless? And that's my question. Yeah, how do how do I get that? Uh, because we're constantly in a in a in a ever changing state of renewal, right? That that's really what this is. It's a is is renewal, and um and so for me, I'm just going to go to the text. I, I have a, a warning of complacency. You know, it's um and 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 I don't. I, although I have warning and complacency written in the margin on page eighty five, I don't read this as with fear at all today. So I read it with love, actually. And and it says, it says, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. You know, then, then my book says, uh, Loretta and Larry are going to probably do that. So, but they're headed for trouble if they do, because alcohol is a subtle foe. We're not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day, is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line. All we wish is the proper use of the will. The reason I read that every day, that's part of my spiritual roadmap, if you will, and I read that every day, is not I could I could recite it. You read repetition. You can you can recite it. But but it's a reminder. It's a reiteration of what's important that I am going to uh, slip and slide at times. I'm not talking slipping and sliding with the food necessarily. I'm talking just slipping and sliding as a human being. I'm going to feel disconnected from God. I'm going to you know there's unpredictability in the world. I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know who's going to get sick today. I don't know what's going to ha- what's around the corner. I really don't. So what this paragraph does for me is a reminder because the, ver- the very next thing is that I turn to page 89 and it tells me that I must work intensively with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they're very ill. And you know what's happened? Well, my life has taken on new meaning. Every time I do it, it takes on new meaning. And yet, it's not a, 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 a one-time sort of, you know, moment in time that's frozen. It's a constant reminder that today that I get to carry the message, show a kindness, doesn't necessarily mean program, be there with someone else. And that is what pulls me. It pulls me and lifts me out of that neutral, complacent feeling. It really does. It's, uh, yes, you, you mentioned an investment in recovery. That's what it is. It's ultimately service and self-sacrifice for others. And yet somehow, Loretta, it's, it doesn't feel overwhelming. I don't know. It doesn't. Um, it just kind of God has it all kind of mapped out for me. And it just kind of opportunities come. And some people are willing and some people aren't. And, and I'm just another grain of, of sand here. So I, 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 don't, I don't get too involved in, in, in the outcome of it. 
but uh, but anyway, I hope that helps, uh, Loretta, with that. Thank you, Loretta H., for your question. We have time for several more questions. If you'd like to pose a question, you can press star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first initial of your last name. Alexis F. Alexis. Is that Sally? Callie C. from Utah. Callie C. Jody B. Minnesota. Patricia P. Who was the last one? Initial P. Patricia P. Patricia. Okay, excellent. Thank you. That's our group. We've got Alexis, Callie, Jody, and Patricia. Let's get started with Alexa. Alexis, please. Yes, this is Alexis F. from New Jersey. There was a time when I was um, an extremist with my uh, food. One lettuce leaf over the measuring cup with broken abstinence, and I was anorexic. I was an extremist uh, emotionally. Uh, I went up and down uh, from the cross to uh, super high, and I was... uh, I had religiosity so much that I had to go to Mass every morning. I'm now much more balanced and moderate. Um, I seem to think that you're black and white when it comes to these things. Could you please answer that? Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll try, to, try to, ask, uh, to answer it this way. So uh, the, black, the the notion of black and white, um, you know, I, I you know the spiritual program of action works in my life today. It's a way of life. Um, it's not a struggle for me today to live this way of life. Okay, but that that is for me, and I, I gosh, I, I don't speak for anybody, not in a way or anyone else. It's just my my personal experience. We share our experience. It wasn't until I began to implement these steps and work them as a way of life uh, that I began to experientially notice these changes. Now, that being said, you mentioned some things. You mentioned, um, you know, Alexis, the notion of extremists with food. We need to have sanity around our food plan. Now, that doesn't mean for me, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean, sanity around my food plan uh, for example, I'll deal with two extremes. It doesn't mean eh, an occasional uh, Oreo cookie's okay. Okay, for me. It might be for you, but not for me. Okay. Um, but I also do not get floored and destroyed if, and I'm using sort of this uh, you know, as an analogy, if I had an eye drop dropper more of, uh, let's say, olive oil, it's not going to destroy me. Okay, does that make sense? And, and, and while I have, uh, you know, some theology in my life, I have some certainly spirituality, um, it is, uh, it's what works for me, and it's consistent with what the spiritual program of action talks about. So I, I don't feel black and white. I feel, uh, but, but it depends on what, I, I can't interpret what you meant by that. In other words, I, I believe the food has to be down entirely, but I also recognize that it's a process for people to understand that. The thing is, I had to really check my motives because I loved hearing it's a process of learning what your alcohol foods are because that gave me free license to, to continue to eat Butterfingers. 
you know, and, and when I, when I, when I eventually, when I heard it's a process, it's, it's, it's not, it's more complex than just putting alcohol down. But at the same time, we got to get pretty clear on what triggers the phenomenon of craving, you know, and, 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 and when I got on, honesty is the principle behind the first step. And so with regard to food plans that I don't really talk about, because we're all a little bit different in that regard, but I would say that when I looked at my motivations and my lack of honesty, I was looking to get effect from certain things. So in lieu of Oreo cookies, I'll find something else that's going to give me something exciting that's going to, that, that when I put it in my mouth, it might be a healthy food, but, it, it, but, it, but, but my synapses in my brain burst like fireworks. And it had the same effect. I was chasing the effect. So if, am I black and white on that? For me, 100%. Yeah, don't make apologies for that. Uh, but, yeah, as far as, uh, as, far as the other things, uh, you know, it, 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 we work the program. And, you know, the more you work it, the more you will experience those changes, Alexis, that, uh, that God intends for you. So it's a timing and a rhythm thing, I think, with a lot of us. So hope that helps. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you, Larry. Sure. And Callie, see your turn. Star one to unmute. Hi. I, yeah, I just did unmute. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for those great questions, and thank you, Larry and Leah, for uh, for your service this morning. This was the perfect opportunity for me to ask this question that I've been wrestling with this whole week, and I was scared that I wasn't gonna that there wasn't going to be enough time to take my question. I'm just so grateful to ask it right now. Um, I don't want to be an addict. <laughs> I think that's all of us. I don't, I don't want this. And I know my God to be the most powerful, but God is God. He is all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all loving and he's all generous. And he's just, you know, a hundred thousand adjectives that I can come up with. And I just, you know, I, I love him and I've got this great, great, great relationship with him. And for him, nothing is incurable. So I've been having this issue of, I want to be cured. He's cured me of so many things before. Like he's cured me of fevers that, you know, of pneumonia of like, of, oh my goodness, so many different things. And he's cured people. He's, you know, bringing people back from the dead. You know, he's God. Why can't this be incurable for me, for us, for all of us? Like, why, why recovered and not cured? Thank you. Yeah. Well, Callie, that's a, yeah, that's the age-old question. <laughs> they were raising that question, I'm sure, in the 1930s and 40s and so forth. And still, we have those questions. You know, the question of why. Um, man, when I was a, a you know a child, I, I asked a lot, and stop asking why, Larry. You know, but I, I, I wanted to know why. Well, I'll go to the text and it, and, it, and it just says, yeah, I can relate to you, Kelly. I don't want to be an addict. In fact, I'll tell you, most of us have been unwilling to admit we are real alcoholics. Because we, we, we don't like to think we're bodily and mentally different from, our, you know, from, from other people. So it's not surprising that our eating careers have been characterized by these, these, these countless times, right, these vain attempts that, that we can eat like other people, and the idea that somehow, oh, my gosh, Kelly, someday he, he, I can both control and enjoy my eating. That's the great obsession. 
of all of us, right? In fact, the persistence of this illusion is it's crazy. It's, it's astonishing. We, we pursue it to the, you know, we'll pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. And that's what it says, that first paragraph and more about alcoholism. I don't want to be an addict. I didn't come here wanting to be that. Who, who chooses to be that? You know, I want to be sane. And to your point of, you know, God is God, should be able to move mountains. That's what I, you know, the God of my childhood. You should be able to, you know, separate the, you know, the, the waters and, you know, and, and, and do all these different things. And, and so why, why not this? And the, all that I can say is that I always go with this. I don't know that I came up with this because there's very, there's not a creative thought in my head, but what I've learned and what I've experienced is there just is no pixie dust recovery here. Callie, I wish there was, I really do. And, and you know what? You'd be the first to get it. I'd throw that pixie dust and I'd be like, that's Callie's, boom. Presto changeo, magic wand kind of stuff. But it, it's just not that way. Why is it not that way? I don't know. I don't have the answers. But I do know this. This works. Shortest line in the book, it works. It really does. It just, uh, I, I, I want changes. It's, it's uncomfortable to put down the food. It's uncomfortable to be owned and tethered to an addiction. It's the society doesn't value it. They, you know, we, 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 we look at it askance. We, we, you know, all these things. But, but the truth is what I would not want to deprive you. If I had that pixie dust, Callie, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't give it to you. Son of a gun, I wouldn't give it to you because I would not want to deprive you of the beautiful, you know, changes and transformation that, uh, that you get to go through. There's nothing like it in the world. So, Boy, am I mean. I would not give it to you. But I can't wait to see you experience it because you'll be able to carry the message in a way that somebody's waiting to hear it from you, you know. So anyways, hope that helps. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Callie. Jody, your turn. Star one to unmute. Hello. Thank you so, so much for this. Um, I've been in kind of a spiritual awakening for the last three hours. And this absolutely speaks to it. Um, you're so eloquently talking about the pivot point between when I'm just walking along, doing my life to the best of my ability in abstinence, struggling and struggling, and then something where I don't know what, how it happens, where I am then transformed and changed by this whatever into this understanding of now it's a spiritual solution. But I'm trying to formulate a question around that pivot point, but can you talk more about, because um, I'm having a stronger awareness of what that pivot point is. Can you talk about your experience with that pivot point of what, what the change is, what the transformation is? Yeah, well, well, thanks, Jody. I, I like, boy, I like that term pivot point. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. You know, in, in, uh, in Appendix 2, uh, where it references spiritual experience, you know, it, it, I think it talks a bit about the pivot point, you know, because it says, you know, William James, uh, you know, Bill was carrying around that book of varieties of religious experience, okay, Varieties of what we call it, spiritual experience, and 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 he and he talked about the this pivot point of the educational variety. I did not have kind of a sudden transformation, 
it, 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 it sort of, uh, I've heard it said, it was kind of more like a dimmer switch kind of coming on, right? And, and, um, and so more of that educational variety. As I implemented the steps, I began to change. And I didn't even notice some of the changes before others did. But, you know, quite often it's it said that, you know, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. My mother tells me, I, I you know, if someone that asked her, what, what, what's the biggest change you, you see in Larry over the years? He doesn't get angry. doesn't get angry. It's rare. I, I guess I was always angry. So he finally, it says, he finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. Leah talked mm-hmm. about that in the beginning. It's reaction. It's not that I don't have things that trigger me. Jody, I, I have things that trigger me. You know what's a big one for me? Oh, and maybe this is kind of stepdad issue, the eight-year-old little boy. Uh, I don't like the underdog. I don't, I don't like authoritative figures uh, putting people down, even with the best of intentions. Now, some other people may be just fine with that. I don't like it. Okay? And uh, I, just, I just don't. It's part of, it's part of my makeup. Um, and so, to me... You know, I can feel in my ego that that's, you know, in my script, that that's not recovery. Unkindness and uh, hurtfulness uh, through words can be some, sometimes much more damaging than even physical abuse, right? Although they're both abuse. So the pivot point for me is this profound alteration in my reaction to life and, and the recognition that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. I, I just have a fundamental awareness that I didn't bring this about myself because I say that because I certainly tried. I certainly tried to bring this change about. But with few exceptions, it says in this Appendix 2, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. For me, that awareness was the pivot. I began to be aware of it in real time. You know, I began to be able to, to be honest when, when, when dishonesty was, was my MO. And that's not to say that I'm never dishonest. I didn't say that. I just said I've been, been able to be able to pivot and choose honesty even when no one's looking. You know, I've been able to choose at times, been able to choose kindness and offering grace to someone, an unmerited gift, give them a free pass, even when they don't deserve it. (laughs) You know, like, you know, they don't deserve it. And just maybe that's just me keeping my mouth shut, you know. And and so there's there's been a myriad of pivot points that I'm that are still unfolding. So I hope that helps Jody a little bit. But I love your I love your uh, your point about the pivot point. It's a big, big part. It of does. It. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. Thank you, Jody. And let's see if we can squeeze in our last question, which comes from Patricia P. Star one ton music. Can you hear me? I hear you now. Okay. Uh, this is Patricia from Michigan, uh, a recovering compulsive overeater. Uh, I'm at the point in my recovery where I. I have to use the, my OA toolkit for the prayers. I, I, I say thank you, God, for uh, my OA prayers that I get to use so I can pray on my own. Is there a, is that a, a way that you you started, or, or how would you answer that question? 
Yeah, Patricia. Well, that that's great. No, I'm glad you did that that's you've been able to make use of that. Uh, yeah, for me, prayer. You know, it just evolved and it evolved. It still is evolving. So there were certain prayers that, yeah, right from the toolkit, right from the book, that were that that began to make sense and began to become a part of my daily practice. I remember, you know, when I completed the third step, my sponsor at the time told me, "I'll make this a regular part of your daily." of your daily stuff. Yeah, but, but, but I'm not feeling any different. Yeah, do it anyway. Same with the seven-step prayer. Make this a part of your daily practice. Yeah, but I, but, 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 but I gotta, I, I gotta feel something. I gotta, you know, I gotta, you know, what if I'm, what if I'm not feeling, you know, my best? What if I'm not acting my best? Uh, yeah, you know what, do it anyway. Do it anyway. You know, same with the St. Francis of Assisi prayer in the AA 12 and 12. It's part of my practice, right? So we find things, and, and the book is quite clear, you know. Be, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, you know, certainly, you know, don't be hesitant to, to, to look through other traditions for, for, for prayers and so forth. Sometimes they free for me. And I'll tell you, I, I, want, it, I want it because you, you introduced this with prayer. Uh, I can't tell you the first time I began to just sort of go into prayer with someone else. <laughs> and and that's a courage because I didn't want to offend anyone. I'm I'm a pleaser at heart. I don't want to offend anyone. So when someone had would call me with you know some difficulty or some challenge, and it just was from the heart that I I just you know and and I, just one time I was just like, you know I I don't even know if I asked him is it okay? Maybe that would be the appropriate thing to do. I just said well. You know what? I'm just going to say a prayer. Is that okay? You know, I'm going to say a prayer. God, help this person with that situation. She's going through a real difficult time now, and and we know that we're powerless, God, over so many things. So we just ask for your direction and care and guidance. Amen. <laughs> and you know what? She didn't hang up on me. And then and now you know I do that. Uh, you know, it, not all the time, but I do that periodically. So prayer is an evolving thing, but it's a beautiful. So I'm glad, Patricia, that you're Patricia that you're doing that, um, and and I'm also glad that Michigan uh, won yesterday. Michigan football won yesterday too, so that's a good thing. So that's all I got, Leah. <laughs> Thank you, Patricia P. and everybody who posed questions this morning, and of course, thank you, Larry, for this beautiful presentation this morning full of inspiration and your personal experience and insights. A gem for the archives, certainly full of sane, quiet, and uh, full of human understanding. Appreciate all that. Thank you so much. Share ID 19,610. That's 19610. We're going to close now from page 164. It's from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. 
and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.